0: Before we get going with today's podcast, I want to remind you about a great opportunity to learn football at Lawrence First and Goal Coaches Clinic. The clinic is to benefit pediatric brain tumor research, as well as cancer services, and the lineup, as I mentioned, is an incredible one. 160 speakers, and right now you can get the ticket to that clinic, $49 for an individual, for a staff of five, so $30 a coach there, but you need to act now. That expires once it hits 2021 here, midnight on Friday. Again, check it out at lfgf.coachesclinic.com. On today's podcast, we're going to focus on coaching the hybrid players in a defense and how that's done in accounting for different skill sets. We're also going to talk about the transition from coaching high school football to major college football and joining me on the podcast to discuss all those things is the outside linebackers coach at Appalachian State Courtney Braswell. Courtney it's great to have you here.
1: Oh man coach I appreciate you guys having me man it's uh really love what you do for for coaches and uh and, and for the game of football man so I mean, I'm excited you guys are having me.
0: Coach we're going to start with uh, your story here and, and how exactly you did make that transition but you know, let's go back to the beginning for you. What was it that inspired you to be a football coach?
1: Man, for me, it, it all starts with just the amount of influence that the people in my life had, you know, the coaches, the teachers, the, you know, the youth pastors at church that there were so many people along my life that took a, took an interest in me um, that helped me zig when I probably would have zagged it. I'm just so grateful for it. And, and, I want to be able to do, to give that back. You know, I, I grew up in a, a fatherless home and I didn't have a dad. And so there's so many different male role models, particularly my coaches, man, that they really stood in the gap and really helped formulate me as a, as a man, helped form me as a man. And so I knew how important that influence was on my life. Um, and I wanted to give that back. And I wanted to do something that I felt like mattered. I, I don't think I'm built for a nine to five behind a desk. And so Uh, my playing career didn't go the way that I wanted it to. And so when it finished, uh, this coaching thing just spoke to me. And I was passionate about it. It's it's an opportunity to mentor uh, young adults uh, as a part in a a game that we all love and care about. And I guess they say those who can't do teach. So I'm teaching now, and I'm really enjoying and thankful to to give back the the many blessings that I was given by other people.
0: So, Coach, you have a unique path into college football. A lot of times we talk to uh, a guy who is at your level – You know, he's done the traditional path. He's been uh, some kind of uh, unpaid or limited earnings guy, working his way into a GA position for uh, a little bit, and then uh, finally maybe getting into a QC job and then into a position and and growing from there. Uh, But you took the high school coach path, and it's something, you know, that's made a difference for you as well in terms of how you've developed as a coach. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about the things that you were able to do and really bring from your, your days as a high school coach that you feel help you right now?
1: You know, I think the biggest thing is, you know, you know, football is football at all levels. Obviously there's more intricacies, the higher you move up. But I think the biggest thing that helped me as a college coach was, has been my experience as a high school educator. Uh, You know, my undergraduate degrees in history and my master's degree, I have a master of arts in teaching. And so I, I think what it's helped me do is as an educator teaching you know, um, regular ed, social studies and history and world geography and government and those things really help me because you have a you have a class size from 25 to 35 and you've got people from all different socioeconomic uh, levels, all different learning abilities, all different learning styles. And you've got to find a way to uh, disseminate that information out to them where they understand, and they comprehend it, and they can perform well on the end of a year assessment. Um, and so I think one of the things that we were constantly doing as an educator as constantly doing as an educator was trying to find a way to differentiate my instruction to get the same amount of information out to the same people, but in different ways that it resonates with, with people differently in the ways that they really learn the best. And so going into a college position group room, you know, it's, it's a smaller group of people, but you still have the same issues of different learning styles, different learning levels, different learning abilities. Um, Different socioeconomic levels, background, all those different things, but you've got a shorter amount of time to disseminate uh, a significant amount of intricate information before they got to go out and physically perform that task under what we believe is an intense, a lot amount of stress. And so I think the ability to differentiate that instruction, to gain, to keep their attention, to keep their focus, and hit those learning styles, I think that was all cultivated in my high school teaching uh, because there's nobody in there with you that, uh, that can, can can help you with that. And so I think having that background has really helped my maturation as a coach has really helped me really connect with my players on a different level. And it's familiar, you know, when you go in there and you have these different, you know, sheets and note pages and, and PowerPoints and video and all these different things, you're hitting everything. And that's, that's eerily familiar to those guys that from the college classroom and the high school classroom. And so uh, it's, it's been a tremendous help for me just keeping that in mind as I kind of go, go through the early stages of my career.
0: Yeah, you really have to find a way to meet players where they're at. And I agree with you. It's it's something you definitely learn in the classroom uh, that every single student you have does not learn the same way and is not going to pick up on things the same way. You're going to have to work with them in different ways. And for you, that translates into your room. And with the position that you coach, uh, kind of unique, because you have not only all those different learning styles that you talked about, you have a unique set of skills that is differentiated across The guys that you coach. Talk to us a little bit about how you deal with teaching uh, all these different skill sets while keeping in mind, as you said before, that you have a lot of different learning styles as well.
1: Well, you know, I think you have to compartmentalize things. You know, Um, you got to find, you got to be on top of things in terms of how they are alike and how they're different from things that you already have in your scheme. But, you know, for me having the field outside linebacker, our anchor and our boundary outside linebacker, our dog, those two in and of itself are two completely different skill sets um, that we look for in the recruiting process, but they're also two completely different things that we ask them to do schematically a lot of time Now they are they can be eerily similar at times, but for the majority of the time uh, they're going to be vastly different. so uh, compartmentalizing you know your installs okay here's here's what we're installing today. so here' are the drills that we need to work in the effort to execute execute these execute the schematics. And so one of the things that we try to do often is, Is make sure the guys understand you know we talk about tasker all the time technique alignment stance, key and responsibility you know i don't think you can know what your technique is unless you know where your key is i don't know that you can know what your responsibility is if you don't know what your stance should be and so all those things have to correlate and to me if they can't tell me what their tasker is in every individual scheme then they really don't know and true understanding hadn't occurred so we got to go back and look at the learning process and figure out where the disconnect is happening and so uh, with that, I think you have to build out your skills, uh, you have to build out your skills and your indie to to execute those things because if if my indie isn't improving my execution of the fundamental schemes, then why am I doing it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. uh, I think it's important that you have to focus, you have to really have a, a keen focus on what are we trying to accomplish because we all love drills, man. There's so many drill takes out there. We love the new, cutting-edge drill that helps us, but where is that helping us and where is that showing up on the film? And so I think the most important thing with those guys is making sure that, you know, when we break down our Indians, it's, it's really broken into three things. We have technique-based, decision-based, and game-based drills that are all a part of the schematics that help us execute it. So with our technique-based drills, uh, we expect 90% uh, correct. That's perfect feet, perfect eyes, perfect control. And really with those technique-based drills, they eliminate any, any reaction. There's not going to be an so right. They're going to know, like, hey, if I'm working edge mechanics, I know this tackle is stepping down. So my footwork should correspond appropriately. My hand works should correspond appropriately. My eyes should be 100%, at least 90% accurate in that. And with my decision base, we're talking about, you know, uh, drills to incorporate reactions. Okay, now the tackle can step down or he can step out. Now your execution or your your accuracy may be a little bit less. You're talking 70 to 80% accurate but now you're getting the visual stimuli and you're creating some muscle memory with your feet and then just game-based uh is now just executing those same things in a scrimmage-like scenario where you don't know what could happen you know what i mean and so um i think building it out that way within your install compartmentalizing your install making sure your drills are representative of what you're installing uh is really crucial it's really the only way that we can get it done there's just so much that we have to do and uh i think i've said before you know, but besides playing a post and a half, our field outside linebacker, our anchor, has the exact same skill set as our strong safety. Mm-hmm. And so uh uh even though they're vastly different guys, they have a lot we play a match, we play a man, we play a quarter, uh, you know, we blitz, we, we do all the exact same things and so it's so important that they're able to have some individual work and have some schematic awareness of uh what it is their job is and how they gotta execute it. So uh, it's, it's troublesome, man, at times, but uh, our guys are doing a really good job with it.
0: I know, as as we were talking before we got going, you mentioned a, a play, one of your favorite of the year. That kind of exemplifies the, uh, the the unique skill set that some of your players have, and it was one that uh, you you were talking about was uh, against Georgia, Georgia Southern. You guys were playing quarters against a two by two.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we're playing quarters. You know, it's it's, it's actually it's so significant. It's after a big play. You know. The first play after a big play is always pretty crucial, particularly when that big play is put them up in the red zone. But we're playing quarters, and our field outside linebacker has a two-by-two, a 10-personnel two two, look. It's 11-personnel, but it's a 10-personnel-type look, and the, the back is to the boundary. You know, depending on what you're doing uh, from a schematic standpoint, essentially our field our field inside linebacker, our Mike, is going to play to the side of the backers into the boundary. And our wheel linebacker is really – pretty much out of the fit and playing a true three over two with the boundary safety and corner over the two speed receivers into the boundary. And so it's now effectively made our field outside linebacker a part of the box as a B gap fitter with that back being away. And uh, one of the things we talked about all the time, particularly in, 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 in Georgia Southern scheme, this look had a high propensity to be a mesh RPO uh, type of look. Um, and so one of the things we always talk about is no wasted motion. I think I mentioned before, you know, rehearsing footwork from visual stimuli, having that muscle memory. And so uh, there's a mesh that occurs. And when they had meshed out of this formation, the the routes had typically been double posted, or what some people refer to as a bang eight um, to the field. And so you kind of see the mesh occur. And what's significant about this is the back was weak. So there's a stimuli that really should pull that outside linebacker into the fit. But he knew when he saw the mesh. Um and I think with any any quarters team, anytime you've got a back offset strong to the field and there's a mesh, any quarters team, that outside linebacker or that star or that nick or wherever he may be, that's a part of the fit has to respect the run and step as a fit in the run and the safety now has to play his own bender of two, which is a really difficult route to cover from depth with a guy that can run. Uh you got him, you know, from line of scrimmage to eighty yards deep, and so it's tough. But uh what uh, what our anchor did was as soon as he saw the mesh, he didn't take a step. He just—he didn't take a step initially with the run fake, put a foot in the ground, burst, and played the bender. Quarterback threw it right to him. So, I mean, I think that was just one of the – that plays just sticks out in my mind because, you know, there's no wasted motion. It's an incredibly difficult play. Everything is telling you to step to the run, but it's what the film work that he did prior to the game, the understanding of the schematics and what the weakness were, he actually had a wider alignment because of the formation. Um, it's just, it's kind of synonymous with the, the, the in depth or the depth of the scheme, but also the depth of his knowledge and understanding of what he has to do. And then seeing the rehearsal of the footwork, the muscle memory show up for him was just, uh, just an awesome play.
0: Yeah. When, when you look at, again, going back to practice and obviously that that's going to be a play that's on your teach tape, um, you know, looking at that now and, and, uh, maybe learning from him, uh, how, how do you plan on working some of those things in the future? I mean, part of it is having that guy. So you recruit, but, you know, making that uh, transition for this is what we want in the game to here's the drill that supports it.
1: Well, I think the biggest thing, man, is, you know, we all, you know, for us, especially, I think for a lot of group of five schools, you know, if that, if that guy is six, three and can really, really run, it's hard for us to get them. You know what I mean? And so we're getting some guys that, that we really, really like, but they have this, or we really like them, but this. And so, Whatever that buck this is, we've got to find a way to to cultivate that, to grow that, to groom it, and to make it better. And so the biggest thing is speed, right? We all want somebody that can run faster. We all want somebody that's twitchier. Well, the one way to simulate speed is to eliminate to eliminate false steps and eliminate what I call negative movements. And so uh, in order to do that, they have to, they have to have great eye control and they got to have great feet and they got to have stimuli in the drill that elicit a, a fundamental footwork response. And so I think trying to put an emphasis on that, you know, most guys, as soon as the ball snaps, they feel like they have to go somewhere. They feel like they have to be moving. They feel, and all the time, they take themselves out of play right. because of negative steps. And so, for me, it's trying to take the negative steps and encourage that kind of footwork and uh, in our drill work to make sure they're where they're supposed to be at all times. And so, you know, you can take a guy that maybe not be very, may not be very fast, and our field outside linebacker is not tr- what you would say as traditionally fast. But he doesn't take a lot of negative steps, and he's able to cover a lot of ground pretty quickly because of exit angles, eye control, and no negative steps. So I think kind of putting that and incorporating that into our drills uh, all the time, eliminating false steps, uh, only 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 makes you f- play faster. And with the football being a game of just inches, man, um, every bit of that's going to matter in the long term, and particularly when it comes to making difficult plays.
0: Yeah, Coach, and taking a step back here, we talked about, your growth in this game and making that transition from, you know, being a high school ball coach to college and how some of those skills translated. But uh, before we got to talking, um, this wasn't something that oh the opportunity just popped up. You know, in your mind, you had been preparing for these opportunities for year, years, and it was something that you wanted to do. Uh, what did you do? You know, from from the time of of setting that goal to you know being be able to coach at the, the highest level um, to getting there, you know, what things did you do along the way to prepare?
1: Uh, man, I, I think the best way to answer it is not what what did I do, it's what wouldn't I do. You know, I don't think there was anything I wouldn't have done to chase a dream. I, I wasted so much time from the time I graduated from high school until until this, uh, until, you know, I went back to college I wasted so much time in there, valuable time, that I could have been bettering myself, and I didn't do that. And so there wasn't anything that I wouldn't do, like, to, to be successful. Uh, and like, I think I told you before, Coach Saban said a while back that uh, when, uh he, the way he said it, I guess, was, you know, when you want to be successful, it just takes what it takes. You know, greatness never goes on sale. And so there's just the price that we have to pay in vacations, hanging out with friends, going out and doing all these different things. That wasn't the priority. The priority for me was having an opportunity to be uh, not just a coach, but we try to be one of the best in our profession. And uh, this is something that, that fueled me and that drove me. And and uh, it was certainly not without its hardships, but I, I, in the back of my mind, I, I just knew I wouldn't want to die without knowing what was seriously inside of me and discovering what I had in me, you know, what was left in me. and, and there is there's no greater tragedy in life than to allow what is in us to die without reaching our full potential. And so I, I had to, I could not let that happen. You know, I had a son that looked at me and wanted, and I also had to be an example to him one day. I never wanted to have to tell him why I did not go and do, I did not want any excuses. And um, uh, I, I, I just think when, when things got difficult, when things got hard, I always remembered that when, when everything I had right now was everything I ever wanted, you know? And so I try to get a lot of perspective and, and stay on the grind because it, it's not easy, man. It's not easy to do this thing that we do, and there's a lot of uncertainty, particularly now in the era of COVID, but uh, I just try to stay faithful. I just tried to work as hard as I could, control the controllables, and, and let the good Lord control the rest. And I've been really blessed and fortunate to be surrounded by some people that, that really believed in me and gave me this, this unbelievable opportunity.
0: The, the people are such an important part in and- you, know, you have to get to know them. Uh, they somehow have to uh, be able to trust you and respect you and, and see those things. So you know looking back at, again, the, the part where you were in high school, you wanted to get to where you're at. Uh, what things did you do to network? What things did you do to build those relationships with you know different people in the game?
1: You know, it started with, I think what everybody does, you know, going to like a, going to a coach's clinic somewhere and getting the coach's card. But, man, I would follow through, you know, Hey coach, when can I come see you? When can I talk about this to you? When can I, and it was just, man, it was just bugging guys that I had so much respect for in the game. And, and honestly was getting hooked up with a really good group of guys that really were into mentoring coaches that, uh, that really helped me that, um, you know, from Dell Jones, our defensive coordinator and Brian Brown and Tyrone Nix and all kinds of guys just across the game of Ruffin McNeil um, that just really had open arms to let you come and talk with them. And, and once they did, man, I was I, I pestered them, you know. I, and it's every time I went somewhere and taught ball, I came back with more questions, so I had to go back. And man, when you get that when you get that hunger and that thirst for the game and wanting to know more and more and more and more, man, it was insatiable for me. And luckily, there was enough enough guys out there that that really weren't too bothered by me uh, that let me come around. And um, to a point, when I was a high school head coach, I took my teams to training camps on campus because they got to be around greatness, but it was an opportunity for me and my staff to be around college coaches and to, to, to again, just keep feeding that hunger and that thirst for knowledge of the game. And I wanted to know more and I wanted to do more and I wanted to do it the best. I just didn't want to do it. And so I uh, just, really, that's what it was, man, just going and spending time. And every opportunity I got when somebody said, yeah, give me a call, come see us. I gave them a call immediately. Like, when well, where can I come? You know, there was no, no delay. I didn't want to waste time. I didn't want to let an opportunity go by uh, without trying to seize it. Um, and so, I think just like I said, being a pest was probably the biggest, probably the biggest thing for me.
0: Coach, I you know before we got going, you shared with me a little bit about your personal philosophy about you know how to make this happen, and uh, you know talking about how what you do is going to show up on film. If you would please you know, share that philosophy with our listeners.
1: Well, I think the, the biggest thing, man, is well well done is better than well said. You got to build a personal philosophy of. Of what internally your ethos, what what is what makes up who you are, and for me it's really kind of uh, it's it's really four things, and it's really three main core beliefs. You know, it's the idea of what makes me tick, what's my why, why do I do this? You know, for me, uh, I'm passionate, I'm ambitious, I want to be the best in our game at what we do, um, and that and, and I want to be able to give back to people what I got from my coaches. So you know, that's really my why. And then you know, what kind of man do do I want to be? What kind of coach do I want to be? What kind of man am I, and and, and then it, then it's the core beliefs of you know trust. What made me change? Uh, what uh, I be, I believed in the coaches, they believed in me, and we trusted each other, and I was able to become a better coach because of it. You know, it's just a part of my beliefs. So when I talk to my kids about it, uh, it's so important that hey, you trust me because it takes a, a, a two part effort for us to go where it is when we want to go as a position group and where we want to go as a team. And so there's so much trust and obviously resilience. I mean. It's in everything that we do. The drills are going to be difficult. Practice is going to be difficult. Games and summer training and weightlifting, all those things are going to be difficult, but it's necessary. And and for me to get to this point in my life, I've overcome a lot, like living in poverty, growing up without a dad. There's so many reasons. I should have been another statistic. But because of the grit and the resistance of the people in my life that believed in me, that pushed me, and just the, the, the refusal to give up that's why I'm where I am. And so I think it's important to encourage that in your kids and to make sure they demonstrate it. Because if you can't, if you can't execute a lift because it's too high in intensity or it's too difficult, like how are you going to get through life when things get really hard? You know, how are you going to be a dad? How are you going to be a husband? Like how how are you going to do those things? And so I think it's important to try to, again, put things in perspective. Like we love this game of football, but the game of football is tough, but life is tougher. And so I think keeping those things in mind is important. And then obviously service uh, is the last thing I think. And, you know, with all things that I've been through, the number one thing for me is is I'm supposed to help people in this world because somebody helped me. You know, I look forward to the opportunity to go see all these coaches because I wouldn't be here without them. And I always want to to encourage other coaches to call me, come see me, whatever I can do. You know, there's a lot of guys out there that I that I learn from, um, and there's a lot of guys that that ask me things, and they they forgotten more football than I ever than I'll ever know. But the the fellowship and the networking of it, and then the the attitude of service uh, to others. Uh, it's just it's vital importance, you know. So um, football is a selfless game. You know, it takes eleven guys for sixty minutes doing their jobs to the best of their ability to beat the other eleven guys, and it comes down to individual effort and my willingness to put the put the team above myself. And so I think that very much comes from a servant's heart, and I try to have a servant's heart in what I do. And so uh, I think building that personal ethos as a coach is just vital to your growth, because um, if you don't believe in something, you'll fall for anything. Um, you see it with guys that don't make it or they burn out. Or uh, I think a lot of it just comes from just having that drive and that resilience of like, Hey, here's what I believe in here. My non-negotiable here's what I don't compromise on and pushing their stuff towards that. And never, never compromising that standard.
0: And coach, all of that really leads to the performance on the field. You're going to do all those things and develop all those things in your players, in yourself, you know, in the group together, but ultimately as you share with me, your belief is that it's going to show us show up on film. Uh, how do you uh, equate that, and what do you look for that, you know, gives you that tangible that when I flip on the video, here's everything we worked on.
1: Man, you know, I think it, a lot of people think it comes in the stats. Um, I, I think some of it, and a lot of it does, but a lot of it comes in in the plays that don't happen you know, an offense is unable to run a play because of the way you executed your job. Or in the case of, like, my boundary outside linebacker, it's hard to run the ball at him. It's even harder to run the ball away from him because he efforts himself into so many plays. And so I think you just see those tangible things and those execution shows up. I tell my guys all the time, you know, sometimes you're not going to make the plays because you do such, such a great job that the play doesn't come your direction. Or the play is unable to be successful where you are because of the execution of your job. Uh, And so I think a lot of times it's shown up. It shows up when it doesn't show up. You know what I mean? That it may not show up on the stats, but it shows up on the film because you're where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing at a really high level. And so it negates offensive opportunities for success. Um, And so uh, I try to encourage them to keep that going, man. then you got to make the plays. You got to make the routine plays look even more routine. You know what I mean? And and make the great plays look routine too. So uh, I, I think it's, to really answer your question, Matt, I think it's just in the – when you look at the game in and of itself, like you had these many plays coming your direction or you had these few plays coming your direction, you know, what was your – how many MAs did you have? How many – how many missed assignments did you have? How many core techniques did you have? You know, were you doing your job to the best of your ability? And I think those things that you see when you're grading the film after, like, yeah, he didn't have a lot of mistakes. He didn't have a lot of tackles, but he had very few mistakes, which shows you he's doing a really good job.
0: Coach four. That guy who's out there in in your position, and I know there's a lot of guys out there who do aspire uh, to make that jump from coaching high school ball to uh, getting to the major college level. What what advice do you have for that coach who uh, is sitting where you used to be just a couple years ago?
1: Man, I say uh, there's things I think about. Man, what, what you got to do? Number one, you got to stay hungry. I mean, hunger directs the decisions in your life. Um, in basic human psychology, it says. Every human behavior can be boiled down to two things, uh, in an effort to get something or an effort to avoid something. So everything you do as a coach, you're either doing it in an effort to make yourself better, your players better, your team better, or you're not. There's no middle ground. And so if you ever find yourself in that middle, then you're not making yourself better. And so I think you got to stay hungry, stay on the grind, um, and, and make sure that you're always, always, always trying to better yourself because betterment of yourself is betterment of your position group and it's betterment of the kids, and they're going to have a ultimately a better – Experiencing a better life because of it, so I think stay hungry number 2 is staying accountable. Uh, What what we're going, what are we going to do with the gift that God has put inside of us, you know, because everybody can't coach everybody can't teach It's a very difficult job. And so what there's something inside of us that only we can do and so. There's something, that's, and because it's inside of me, only I can do it. I'm accountable for it. I can't blame somebody else for what God has put inside of me. I can't blame somebody else for my failures. I can't blame somebody else for my shortcomings. If I'm not staying hungry and doing everything that I can to maximize my effort every single day, uh, I'm accountable for it. The good Lord put it in me, so I got to do the best that I can. And then, I, and, and with that same mindset, you got to be responsible for it. We neglect ourselves so much. I mean. I know for me, you get into the grind of the season. I'm eating junk food all the time because I'm at the office late and doing things late. Um, so I'm, I, I got to make sure that I'm always, 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 always uh, keeping myself in mind and never neglecting myself and my family and things like that. We spend so much time on other things, and it can be difficult. But there is something in us that, that has the capability to meet every challenge that we face. The issue is we all the time view that as a burden, like, man, why is coach on me? why are my players not doing this? You know, we ha- we have, we go through difficult times, number one, because of the test, but number two, because we've been empowered by something in us to deal with those very situations. And so I think a lot of times, instead of viewing those difficult times as a burden, those difficult times that come with the grind of football season and players and parents and all those things, I think it's so important to remember that of the 7 billion people in this world, there's only one you with that unique thumbprint. And the things that you're going through, only you can deal with it. So no matter what it is, man, keep the faith, stay on the grind, be humble, serve others, and never get discouraged. Um, and use that gift that, like I said, that, that God has put in each of us to do this this thing that we love at such a high level. Because, like I said before, you know the greatest tragedy in life is not death, but it's the things that we allow to die within us when we're still alive. And so I can't I can't let that passion die because of the difficulty and. Um, and, and lastly, it's probably all about focus. I mean, be focused and focus is not what you see, it's what you refuse to be distracted by. And so eliminate distractions um, and keep your focus on what it is you want to do, set attainable goals. And then when you achieve those goals, redefine success and start on the next thing. I, mean, I think uh, if you do those things um, and just and keep the faith, I think uh, you're never worse off, like I said, for being right by people and, and being ambitious and working your tail off.
0: Coach, when you look at all the great things that you do, and you talked a lot of, uh, about a lot of great stuff here on this short episode, um, you know whether that's at at uh, Ridgeland High School or at App State, what's the one thing you do as a coach that you feel really gives your guys the winning edge?
1: I love them, man. Um, I love them far beyond far beyond the white lines. I probably put as much time not more into them outside the field as I do on the field. And it, it's not always it's not always spending time together. Uh sometimes it's just a text. Hey man, what are you doing? What are you up to? How's your mom? How's your girlfriend? Come by my office and holler at me. A lot of times it's not even about football man, but it's letting them know that I that I that I truly that I truly love them the person. Um I can't give you I I can't give you all of me and and, and not love you fully it just doesn't work that way for me um and so i think knowing that i love them they know i'm gonna go to war and i'm doing everything i can on my end to make sure that they're successful and i ask in turn i don't actually love me i actually love each other the best you can and do everything that you can in the building away from the building um to make sure that we're successful again particularly in this COVID time there's so much trust that coaches have had to put in players to make sure they're wearing their mask and washing their hands and doing social distancing all the thing in this day and age man and so we've really had to build that um, build that atmosphere of trust within each other because we needed everybody to get these seasons done. And so um, I don't think you can trust without love. And so uh, I think just letting them know that I love them, I tell them I love them every single day. Every day I tell them I love them. Tell them they need anything, let me know. And uh, I think that's probably something that goes really far beyond football and really goes on for life. You know, whether it was the App State, Chattanooga Central, originally anywhere I've been, uh, there's still so many players that that I, that I hear from um, that really makes my day because that's what we ultimately do it for It's the betterment of their lives. Like it makes me feel good and makes me feel like I'm doing God's will because of the investment and the love that I put into them. And so uh, I, I hope that's – I hope they know that. I hope they feel that. And I hope that's – I can die tomorrow and nobody can tell you what my record was, but I hope some kids will be at my funeral and say, my coach loved me. Yeah,
0: that's powerful, Coach. Uh... First of all, Coach, thank you for taking the time and, and sharing with us today. Uh, Coach is out there, you can follow him on Twitter. It's at Court Braswell. That's C O R T B R A S W E L L. Uh, Coach, what areas of the country do you recruit?
1: Uh, so particularly, I have I have about ten schools around the Charlotte area there in North Carolina and Mecklenburg and Cabarr- uh, Cabarrus County. Then I have uh, southeastern Tennessee uh, Hamilton County, Bradley County, and, uh, Polk County. And then I've got Georgia Putin County in North and then Alabama, uh, from Birmingham in North uh, East to West in both those States. And so, uh, if any coaches need me or need to contact me, obviously I have my Twitter handle, but coach, I give my, my cell phone number as well. It's just eight, two, eight, four, three, four, uh, five, two, eight, five. So if coaches need anything, please don't, don't hesitate to call, email, tweet, DM, whatever it is, uh, you know, I'm here to serve and help any way that I can. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity, Coach. And I, like I said before, I really appreciate everything you're doing and you guys having me on.
0: Absolutely, Coach. Well, best of luck to you and the Mountaineers in 2021. And we'll be watching what you do.
1: Thanks, Coach. I appreciate it, man.
0: Thank you for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Be sure to get your ticket to Lawrence First and Goal Coaches Clinic at lfgf.coachesclinic.com. Remember to save money by getting the early bird ticket, $49 for the individual, $150 for staff of five. Get together five of your coaching friends and save some money there as well. Again, it supports a great cause. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski and find our show notes, articles, and more at coachandcoordinator.com.